Coming up on Studos America, John Ziegler blows the lid off the Penn State Joe Paterno scandal. A Capitol rioter hits a pothole on the highway to love. And I tell you exactly what pandemic measures I'm keeping in my life even after COVID is gone for good. Let's do Pandemic Positives. Stu does America. Okay, the last year has sucked for a million different reasons, but I will say it wasn't all bad. There are a few things about pandemic life that I want to keep. You can tweet me yours if you have any ideas at Stu Does America or any of the social networks you happen to be on. And if your ideas don't completely suck, maybe we'll share some of them. Okay, what do I want to keep from the past year? How about zero traffic? I want no traffic. I don't know if you're essential. Are you an essential employee? You could be one of those people who are easily discarded by society. But this show, this stupid little show you're watching right now was an essential show. Mm -hmm. And I am an essential host. I only tell you this, of course, to brag about it but also because I didn't experience the shutdown like everybody else did. We kept braving the pandemic to bring you important updates about how bad Colin Kaepernick is and how awful Andrew Cuomo is and how much Nancy Pelosi sucks. One of the great pleasures of this time was that no one was on the road. I mean, no one. It was clean sailing at excessive speeds with no one around to cut you off, veer into your car, or to make you slow down for any reason. Get off my roads. They are mine now. They belong to us essential workers. Another thing to keep from the pandemic, social distancing. Now, some of you might not like this one, but allow me to make my case here for a second. I'm not talking about no longer seeing anyone. I'm just talking about the six foot rule also known as the three-foot rule in other parts of the world. Again, this isn't because of COVID. I just don't really need to be within six feet of anyone, except in very limited, usually very sexy circumstances. We used to understand this. Remember the close talker on Seinfeld? You know, I have a friend who works at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. How'd you like a behind-the-scenes tour? Really? You could do that? Easily. It wouldn't be any trouble? Of course not. <laughs> How about right now? I'm ready. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, let me get my coat. <laughs> Wait, what do you say? Well, well, I don't think so, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> I have plans. Oh. How about you, Jerry? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Examine the artwork up close. Maybe I'll try and catch up with you. I mean, it's a classic. I don't want to return to the era of the close talker. I've come to realize that unless I'm needing real privacy or I really need to gossip about someone standing nearby, I can have about 95% of my conversations six feet away from another person with no worry at all. I'll stay over here. You stay way over there. We can handle this. How about increased hand washing? Most evidence now seems to indicate that increasing your hand washing doesn't really do all that much to stop the coronavirus. But don't be gross. Wash your hands. Another thing to keep from the pandemic, streaming new movies at home. I'm a huge fan of movie theaters and I don't want them to go away. That being said, I also really like having the option of firing up HBO Max later tonight and watching Godzilla and King Kong, you know, fight at I and mean, battle each other. I love that. I mean, is it going to be a good movie? Probably not. 
But that's another positive of this scenario. If I'm planning a night around a theater, I really don't want that movie to suck. But if I'm firing up an on-demand after the kids are in bed, I can deal with a mediocre flick. It's never going to replace the wonder of a dine-in movie theater. But let's keep this going. I like it. And in a related note, the drive-in theater. Mm -hmm. It's returned. For a while, a drive-in movie was like the only thing you could do in America that was actually fun. There were pop-up screens all over the country that showed old movies and delivered food to your window. There's just something cool about the drive-in movie theater, and it should exist even when there aren't viral droplets flying all around your head. Now, this one is going to piss everyone off, so give me a second. Should we keep, stay with me, masks? Now, <laughs> I know what you're saying. No one likes the mask mandates. I got it. But I propose we continue mask usage in a limited way. Nothing to do with COVID. I just think masks should be around for certain circumstances. Like number one, when I wear a mask, no one ever talks to me. And I like that. If you're in California or New York, you might be longing for human contact. But I tell you, as a resident of a red state, it's overrated. Talking to people isn't as wonderful as you remember it. Masks help you scare everyone away. So occasionally, I might just wear one anyway, even when COVID isn't a thing anymore. And I will also say, we should continue to mask ugly people. I think we can all agree on that. I mean, who wouldn't want Lena Dunham to constantly wear a mask? Now, I know this probably means that I'm also stuck wearing masks forever, but I think that's just good for everyone. Another thing to keep around, alcohol delivery. <laughs> Yes, alcohol delivery and takeout alcohol at restaurants became a thing during COVID, at least in some states. And it was glorious. There was a strange admission sort of mixed into it that our government implicitly told us to deal with, you know, not having church, seeing your family. But we couldn't possibly expect you to not have a drink that's, you know, mixed professionally. I mean, that would be crazy. Luckily, if you can get drunk enough, you won't remember what a contradiction this is. Next up, self-quarantine. Ah, it's the self-quarantine. There has never been a better excuse to be antisocial. Sometimes, you know, I hate to say it, no. No, I don't want to go out for a couple's night this weekend. I'm sorry. The value of the self-quarantine excuse is one of the best things to come out of the pandemic. That's why early last year we came up with this shirt. Sorry, can't make it. Self-quarantined. And it's remained one of our best-selling items at StuDoesMerch.com for the entire year. Remember, human interaction is overrated. On that note, working from home. I was just reading some stats the other day that in Texas, Restaurants are back to 100% of pre-pandemic levels, which is kind of amazing. Yet somehow offices are only at 38% of pre-pandemic attendance. Now, there's a few reasons for that, but there are definitely a bunch of people telling their bosses they're afraid to come in because COVID. And then they're going out to indoor dine at restaurants at night. Now, first, I, I will say I admire the Ferris Bueller aspects of all of this. But overall, working from home sometimes is probably good for a lot of people. And I think companies are going to ask themselves, hey, if we can get like even 75% performance at home from our employees and get rid of these giant buildings, maybe we just do it. Plus, we don't have to see bill from accounting anymore, which is a, is a nice bonus. This one is a little more aspirational. The benefits of homeschooling 
finally being recognized. Now, this is a weird one because so many people hated homeschooling or distance learning, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the sort of dual conservative instinct to say, open up the schools, and then simultaneously be yelling, these schools are nothing but woke socialist tellholes. If you combine the two, you get something a little contradictory. Now, these public schools are woke socialist hellholes. Please open them up so I can put my kid in them for 13 years is a weird set of beliefs. Homeschooling can be tough, and it isn't for everyone, including me, and definitely including my wife. But private schools, pod learning, whatever else you can think of that keeps your kid out of public schools should be at least considered. I continue to think this is one of the main missed opportunities of this entire pandemic for conservatives. This was our chance to show people a better way of educating their child, and I can't help but wonder if we largely blew it. How about telemedicine? Look, I don't want to go to a doctor's office. Their hands are cold and the rooms are filled with the diseases of the last guy who was in there. I'm happy keeping most of that on Zoom. Just ship me economy-sized jugs filled with all the drugs I need and I will see you when I need a surgery. Another thing to keep from the pandemic, middle seats on planes kept empty. I traveled several times over the last year. The airports are gloriously empty. The planes were sparse and no one was ever in the middle seat. Of course, the airlines hate this. They'll probably all go out of business if this continues. But as a man of significant girth, this was a positive development. Though 90% of stores and restaurants in the airport were closed, and that must change, you know, for America to fully heal. How about this one? No more April Fool's Day. I say get rid of it. With the pandemic happening in March and April of 2020, most businesses stopped their usual hilarious attempts at really annoying April Fool's jokes. You know, with people dropping dead all over the place, it didn't seem like the appropriate time to screw with everyone. Well, now we hit 2021 and a lot of them brought it back a few weeks ago. Like Volkswagen, for example, who hilariously renamed themselves Volkswagen. Volt, get it? Like they're going to sell electric cars, so it's Volkswagen, like a volt of electricity. Get it? <laughs> oh, just kidding. Uh, actually, they're just going to keep their old name because Volkswagen is so much better. In case you needed a refresher, Volkswagen was founded in 1937 as part of Nazi leader Adolf Hitler's vision to enable German families to own their first car. During World War II, the Wolfsburg-based firm manufactured vehicles for the German army, using more than 15,000 slave laborers from nearby concentration camps. Hey guys, maybe you should change your name. I'm just saying, how on earth is this company still in existence? They pulled an episode of Golden Girls off the air because Blanche was wearing a mud mask and it kind of looked like blackface. Yet the Hitler created slave labor in concentration camp using car company is still churning out vehicles. Amazing. Anyway, these jokes are dumb and they should go away forever. This one's going to be tough to hear, but we have to get rid of the old school way we celebrate birthdays. I've never questioned traditions about birthdays before all of this happened. But when you think of it, a person is blowing air and God knows what else disgusting particles onto a bunch of food that everyone then in the room just cuts and mindlessly eats. 
it's completely insane during a pandemic. It's also completely insane at all other times in all other circumstances. Invest in an extra cake specifically for the birthday kid. Let them blow out all the candles and eat the whole thing themselves. That's the American way. Another thing I liked from the pandemic, less coughing. This is a two-parter. Number one, there is way less coughing in public now, and that's good. Why? Mainly because of insane people, because everyone thinks you've unleashed a global superbug variant every time you cough in public. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, because your kid then sneezes in public and people from the CDC get like 25 calls from Karens all over the room. So I'm glad people are doing everything they can not to cough around other people. That's good. But we also have had a massive reduction in just like regular illnesses like the common cold and the flu. Some people use this as evidence that the COVID stats are wrong or that we're lumping in flu deaths with COVID, COVID deaths. And to be clear, I do not think that's the case. The tests are looking for totally different things. There are some theories out there about viral competition, like when a dominant virus pops up on the scene, the other viruses kind of go into hibernation for a year or so. Who knows? But I think a big part of this is the stuff that we do to stop COVID works really well on the other stuff. Some of it doesn't work all that well on COVID, <laughs> but they should work pretty well on the flu and the common cold. The steps we've taken, like social distancing and mask wearing and all that crap, were developed with a flu pandemic in mind, not COVID. Myself, I have been sick um, zero times in the past year. Now, normally I would get a cold or whatever a few times a year and maybe a real sickness that kind of knocks me out once or twice. This year, nothing like that. Amazingly, the only thing I caught all year was COVID, for which I had no symptoms at all. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Anyway, I don't miss getting sick at all. And now, of course, I'm a superhuman with antibodies, so I will never get sick again. Or that's not exactly science. It's not exactly true, but it's something that I think should be true. Now, this next one, I'm pretty sure I'm in the minority on. But let's kill the handshake. I know. Everyone, oh, I want to shake hands. When are we going to make shake hands again? How about never? I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. We really don't need to touch other people's grimy hands to say hello, do we? Especially if people start coughing into them again. Who knows how many gross illnesses we're spreading around that aren't named COVID? I don't know. I also don't need to fist bump or connect elbows or whatever else we've been doing for the past year. I know this is the traditional thing to connect with another human being, but I mean, I'm just going to try to stick to saying hello from like six feet away or so. And finally, the last thing to keep from the pandemic. All gyms are closed. I know if you're like healthy, or in shape or whatever, you're pissed off about this. But for people like me, all the gyms being closed was the perfect excuse not to go to the gym. In fact, it actually became unhealthy to go to the gym. I mean, it was amazing. Oh, you want to go? Are you going to go to the gym today? Are you trying to kill me? Is that what you're doing? Close all gyms, blame COVID or, you know, whatever you want. Just close them forever. So there you have it. Sure. Life pretty much sucked for the past year, but we have our own way of making lemonade out of lemons here on Studos America. Yes, we could have brought up stuff like spending more time with your family or whatever, but I don't know. I mean, your family might suck and that might be the main reason you hated the pandemic era. So I don't know. I don't know your situation. Make sure to drop something that you want to keep from the pandemic era in the comments of this video or on social media at Stu Does America. We'll be right back after I cough on someone from two feet away without washing my hands. 
Trying to buy or sell a home in these times can be challenging, and that's why you need a real estate agent who you can trust. Someone who's not going to be, I don't know, coughing on their hands. Maybe someone will stand six feet away if you really want them to. Or you can have someone who isn't completely antisocial and actually wants to interact with other human beings. Either way, whichever way you want to go, realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person, the best person to buy or sell your home. Glenn started this company many years ago, before we even moved to Texas, uh, I think. I mean, it was definitely back up, uh, up north when he had a bad interaction with a couple of real estate agents that couldn't sell a house. They weren't really paying attention. So he's like, let's just start a company that screens through these agents so that regular people can go through and find the best agent for their area. It's a simple idea, it's a smart idea, and it's one that you need to implement into your life if you're buying or selling any real estate. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. I'm happy to welcome back to the program John Ziegler. He is the senior columnist for Mediaite, as well as the co-host of the brand new podcast with the benefit of hindsight. It's a podcast that dives into the story of the Penn State scandal. John, thanks for coming on the program. Stu, it's always great to talk to you. It's great to talk to you, too. And I got to feel like this has got to be kind of a satisfying day for you in some way in that, like, you've been working on this for 10 years now. Does it feel good to just kind of have it laid out in a somewhat final form? Well, uh, it's been rather cathartic, as you know, probably better than almost anyone else in the media. The last uh, almost 10 years, we're almost at the 10 year anniversary of this Penn State, quote unquote, scandal has been an incredibly trying experience for me. Uh, in, in, you know, I believe, Stu, in so many ways, we're living in an upside down world. And uh, from a career perspective, the work I've done in this case, I think objectively should have been a, a career maker for a lot of people. But in, in the world we live, this has actually been one of the worst things, if not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I've had some bad things happen. Uh, and it's been clearly the toughest thing I've ever done. This has been a, a cross that I've been trying to get rid of uh, for most of the last 10 years. And uh, you guys at the, at the Blaze uh, had me for an, a full day four years ago to talk about this, back when I was still in the investigation stage. Now we've laid it all out. In a 19 documentary episode podcast called With the Benefit of Hindsight. And as part of that debut, we put out the first two episodes already, but as part of that, of that debut, we've also put out 17 plus hours of raw interviews, which you can see for yourself, listen to your, for yourself at framingpaterno.com, all for free. An extraordinary act of transparency because we're all, and all we're interested in here is, Stu, is the truth. And the truth of this case was lost very early on in a media panic and a firestorm, which, by the way, there's so many reasons to, to listen to this podcast. One, it's the true crime aspect of the media getting a story wrong. But I also have had a lot of people come to me and say, oh, my gosh, I now far better understand what's happened over the last year with regard to our reaction to the COVID pandemic because I have learned what really happened in the Penn State case. They seem very different, obviously, for very uh, clear reasons, but in many ways, the dynamics surrounding them are very, very similar. And so you'll basically get a PhD in the way the news media is broken and the way humanity reacts to these 
panic situations and firestorms. And there's no better example of that than what really did and did not happen in the so-called Penn State scandal involving Joe Paterno and Jerry Sandusky 10 years ago. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of, you know, true crime podcasts are huge, obviously. They're, they're, they dominate the charts all the time. And this sort of exists in the intersection of sort of a true crime podcast and like a, as you point out, sort of a PhD in just media bias and the faults of the media. It's, 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 it's different than a normal true crime process. Uh, podcast, but it has a lot of those elements in it. Um, one thing I, it was interesting to see as you put this together, and I want to I want to I want to I want you to tell us why you did it this way, which is you have you brought on another journalist, uh, Lisa Beeb, who's well known sports journalist. Um, and it seems like, you know, like I, I've only heard, you know, some of it so far. I listened to about the first hour um, before I came, out, came on the air today. Um, but if you could tell from the trailer, like she seems to be there to sort of push back on you, like to make sure that she's there to kind of hold you accountable, make sure you've answered all of the questions, the questions that I might have as a viewer not knowing the whole story or listener. Um, she's kind of there to kind of push back on, on you on this. It's, it's an interesting format. Why did you do it that way? Well, I think you know, Stu, that um, I'm unafraid. <laughs> I have nothing to hide here. In fact, I want scrutiny. I, I wish that uh, more people who disagree with me and think I'm a lunatic would interview me uh, because I have a far better answer for what really happened here than the fairy tale that the news media has told us over the last 10 years. And thank you for bringing up Liz Abib. Liz Abib is the television sports anchor at the Fox affiliate here in Los Angeles, a very respected and long-term sports journalist. And she has a very unique background that she brings to this. One, she went to the University of Pittsburgh, Penn State's rival. Her brother uh, played football at Penn State. And she and I co-anchored the news. Ironically, I was the sports guy. She was the news person 30 years ago <laughs> in a small market in Ohio, West Virginia area. Uh, and so we have a rapport. We have a chemistry. Frankly, one of the other reasons to listen to this podcast, it doesn't just work as a true crime story uh, of an amazing injustice. Uh, and also, as we mentioned, the Ph.D. In, in media bias and the way humanity works. It's also flat out entertaining at times because <laughs> Liz uh, does hold me accountable. She goes after me. We fight uh, on numerous occasions. But in the end, her evolution of thought on this, and she bought in totally 10 years ago as a reporter, that all this was true, I think is going to be very similar to the, the journey that the audience takes on this podcast. So yes, you're right. This is highly unusual for someone to do this, to want to do a podcast with someone who is not at least at first totally on board, but I think very, I'm very confident that it is a huge plus to the podcast on numerous levels. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's an interesting approach. Um, in the first episode, uh, it's called The Date. Um, and uh, the first episode, you asked the audience to kind of do something. And I did it. And we actually made a graphic here of this. There's three <laughs> dates on a timeline. And I want to show it to the audience here. There's three dates. There's, uh, there's, of course, March 1st, 2002, February 9th, 2001, and December 29th, 2000. Can you kind of walk us through these three dates and what they mean? Wow, that is so cool that you did that. In <laughs> fact, can we borrow that for the yeah, podcast? Yeah, we'll send it over to you right <laughs> um, after. Uh, 
Okay, so here's here's why that's so important, and it's a little complex, which is why you need a podcast, and why, by the way, the truth is so hard in this day and age where headlines are all that matter, right? Mm-hmm. Nuance and details are dead. But the, the key to this whole story is the so-called Mike McQueary episode where the uh, then a graduate assistant uh, coach at Penn State supposedly saw Jerry Sandusky molesting a boy in a shower at Penn State. The first date he testified to that happening was March 1st, 2002. Then a few months after the firestorm, the prosecution quietly said, oops, he got the date, the month, and the year wrong. It wasn't that. We now know through documentary evidence, which is a whole other very fascinating element of the story, that this supposedly happened on February 9th of 2001. So he got the date, the month, and the year wrong. He thought it happened after 9-11 when it actually happened before 9-11. And that was the first moment, Stu, that I started to go, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to put all of this on one witness that gets the date of this cataclysmic, catastrophic event so horrendously wrong. Well, the biggest mistake I ever made in this case turns out to be the only one I ever got any mainstream credit for, because after several years of investigation and thinking about this for a long time and having doubts in my head, but thinking there's no way the prosecution got this date wrong twice. There's no way Mike McQuarrie and the prosecution with all their resources screwed this up twice. Well, they did. I finally realized that the actual date, and we prove it in the podcast, of what what transpired when McQuarrie went into that shower was December 29th of 2000. And the reason why that is so incredibly critical is that it means that it took six weeks, six weeks for Mike McQuarrie to, to report to Joe Paterno what he supposedly saw. And Malcolm Gladwell wrote a best-selling book called Talking to Strangers, in which he uses my work on this particular issue and others related to this story as the basis for that chapter. And uh, I think he thought at the time that was going to spark a whole lot of media interest and media coverage of this remarkable revelation that, oh, my gosh, the key event is not just a little wrong. It's totally wrong. And that when you understand the timeline, nothing we were told then makes sense, because without an immediate report from Mike McQuarrie, there's no urgency. And without urgency, <laughs> there's no child rape in a shower. Uh, and then there's a whole slew of other elements to this particular uh, part of the story that make it very clear that I am right. Malcolm Gladwell believes I'm right. And we have an interview, the first one ever done, with one of the three administrators who was accused in this case of a cover-up, where for four hours we have interviews with him explaining exactly why he now believes, and he was the reason why the date got changed the first time, that the December 29, 2000 was the real date and totally agrees with the implications of that. And he's even willing to say publicly that, believe it or not, as shocking as it sounds, not only was Joe Paterno innocent in all this, not only were the administrators innocent in all this, but Jerry Sandusky was actually innocent in all this. And that's the only way you make all of this story make sense. Hmm. There is no scenario that makes any sense knowing everything we know now that does not include the innocence of even Jerry Sandusky. And I understand that's mind-blowing to people. I did not believe it at the first, for the first two or three years of my investigation. I didn't want to believe it. I fought it with everything I had. I think I told you guys that when we when we met in Dallas four years ago. Uh, but eventually there was no other conclusion. And I knew that that was going to ruin my life and my career, but I had a choice to make. And I decided the truth was important enough that it has to be documented. And we've made a historical record 
forever, hopefully, with this podcast with the benefit of hindsight. If, if you guys are in the control room, can show me that graphic one more time. I just want to restate this one more time because it is really legitimate. It, it's amazing. March 1st, 2002 was the date that came out in the media. It was everywhere. That's when this event happened. They had the specific date. Then later on, they just changed it by over a year, which you mentioned the 9-11 part of that. I mean, I went through 9-11. There is a clear delineation of things that happened before 9-11 and ha- after 9-11. It was hard. I mean, something that happened a few months after 9-11 would be, it would be dominating your thought process. It would be in the context of that moment. And then as you talk about, it looks like it was De- December 29th, 2000. You have it down to the actual date. The urgency, if you saw a terrible incident like this in the shower, you're not going to take six weeks to report it. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell did talk about this uh, in his most recent book, uh, t- Talking with Strangers, which is a great book, by the way, even separate from, uh, you know, n- not just your chapter on it. There's a lot of great chapters in that book. It's, it's a really good book. Um, but he goes into this in depth. And, and I, I thought it was interesting that Malcolm Gladwell was in it. What's that? I'm sorry. I lost you for a second there. There's one other important aspect of, of the six week delay, sure. which unfortunately Malcolm Gladwell does not get into. And I've chided him about this. <laughs> so the reason why Mike McQuarrie does go to see Joe Paterno on the morning of February 10th, 2001, that date is real. It's just that he didn't witness anything the night before. The reason why he goes to see Joe Paterno is a job opens up the day before the job he wanted, the job that he would eventually get, not then. But three years later, when it opened up a second time, the wide receivers coaching job, and it is my very strong belief, and there's a whole bunch of evidence for why this is, I believe, the only conclusion that makes sense, that a large part of why Mike McQuarrie finally decides after six weeks to go see Joe Paterno, and not the police, by the way, is that he's looking to get the job that just opened up on February 9th, or he found out found out uh, that it opened up on February 9th, the morning of that, when it was in the newspaper of 2001. So that's a key part of that yeah. story. Yeah, that goes to motive, right? Um, uh, yeah, so so address this concern, because Malcolm Gladwell has written and done podcasts on a lot of things about people uh, having imperfect memories. Sometimes that's real. Sometimes you miss the date. Sometimes you forget things. You remember them differently than they, than they were, and he's done a lot of work on that. Um, why it, why couldn't it just be that Mike McQuarrie remembers these things, maybe a little jumbled, a little out of order. He, maybe he gave the wrong date. Why is the date so important? For several reasons. First of all, we're not talking about something that was not a big deal, right? If, if, if what he is saying or what is, is, is testimony, how it was interpreted, and people need to remember that most of his testimony dealt with what he supposedly heard, not what he saw. And his testimony was very vague to begin with. But if he did, in fact, witness some sort of child sexual assault by a local legend, that's not something you forget, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the idea that you're missing it, not just by a little bit, but by an entire year plus that the date, the month, and the year, that's incredibly significant. Now, to be clear, I believe McQuarrie did witness something. Uh, I believe he witnessed Jerry Sandusky in the shower with a 13-year-old boy by the name of Alan Myers, who, by the way, Malcolm Gladwell also names because of my work. And when you know the story of Alan Myers, the boy that was in the shower, it becomes exceedingly obvious that there was no assault in the shower that night or any other night. 
Uh, Alan Myers does not testify at Jerry Sandusky's trial uh, through a, an incredible series of events, uh, largely because he's waiting to see what will happen in that trial, I believe, and ends up getting paid $8 million after the trial uh, mm. as an alleged victim who never even testifies against Jerry Sandusky. There was no victim to the boy in the shower at Jerry Sandusky's trial. The prosecution lied to the jury and said that the identity of that boy was known, quote unquote, only to God when they knew it was Alan Myers, but they didn't call Alan Myers because Alan Myers' story blows apart this entire situation. And way back in 2013, after I discovered it was Alan Myers, I took the three-page statement that Alan Myers gave on the day Joe Paterno was fired to Jerry Sandusky's investigator. I waved it on the Today Show. In my interview with Matt Lauer, waved it, Stu, just hoping that somebody in the news media would contact me and say, gee, that sounds interesting. You found out who the boy in the shower was and you have a three-page statement that he gave uh, exonerating Sandusky, blowing apart McQuarrie? Wow, can I see that? Guess how many people contacted me? Mm. Zero. Jeez. Zero. Because... Because the news media is totally broken, Stu. There's no curiosity. Once the narrative is set, it's over. It's too late. Sorry, we've got our narrative. Let's go with the myth. Reality no longer matters. And we've seen that on numerous occasions. And this, to me, is the biggest, the most obvious, with some of the greatest damage we've ever seen. And it's part of the reason why I'm still so passionate about this story 10 years later, because it goes way beyond the people that were destroyed here, way beyond Penn State. This goes to the nature of our society, the nature of humanity, and the nature of our very broken news media. You know, it, it seems like such a crazy story, but you lay it out really well when you talk about incentives, and this is all on the on the podcast. These groups were incentivized to do the things they did, and it was hard to reverse once it all started. John Ziegler, a senior columnist for Mediate, co-host of the podcast, with the benefit of hindsight. It's all about the Penn State scandal, and it it's gonna it's gonna push you in directions you're not you're not gonna believe. Honestly, uh, it is amazing, and he lays it out really well in the podcast. John, thanks so much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Stu. All right, back in a second. I really want to thank you for tuning in tonight to help me do America. I can't do America alone. We need to do America together. And what's a great first step? You can follow me on Instagram, naturally. Head over to my page, at Stu Does America. Give me a follow, and you'll get access to exclusive content, plus the link to uh, all sorts of platforms. It's the link in the bio. Check it out. Uh, you can stream it for free pretty much everywhere. Not a bad deal. Or if you want a little more bang for your buck while you're doing America, consider a full subscription to Blaze TV. Head to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Okay, let's start by doing Ibram X. Kendi. So I, I, when I look at that video, I, I asked myself if, if that would have been a 16-year-old white girl in a wealthy suburban neighborhood, would the police officer have sought to disarm this girl? No. Would the police officer sought to talk her down? Definitely not. Would the police officer would have used legal lethal force? Yes. And it's hard for me to believe that that would have happened. It's hard to me to, to believe that that officer uh, would not have responded differently for a different girl in a different community. Um, that's because you're a racist. 
uh, that's why it's hard for you to believe because you only see skin color and base everything on skin color. You're not an anti-racist, you're an auto-racist. You just automatically assume racism in every circumstance. That's why it's difficult for you to believe. It's not difficult for anyone else to believe. Everyone else can look at this and see blatantly the truth of what occurred there, but you're a racist, so that's why you see race there, just in case you were wondering. How about uh, a little uh, MSNBC for you with Joy Reid? The argument for our movements has never been that black people have to be perfect in order for them to deserve dignity, for us to have mm -hmm. good policing, mm -hmm. for us to be viewed with humanity, for cops to take a breath. Okay, before hold they on. Just stop for a second. I can't, I can't do this. The argument isn't you need to be perfect. It's you need to not stab people actively on camera in front of police officers. That's the standard. And yes, African-Americans should be held to a standard. In fact, they hold each other to that standard very often. You don't seem to be holding anybody to that standard, but the no stabbing standard is relatively common. I don't think that's a problem for anybody uh, from any community of any color to hit. Don't stab people. All right, here is Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo. I'm sure this is going to be great. The people are very emotional right now, but we've got to be fair about what happens when police arrive at scenes. What? It is tragic that it's a 16-year-old girl, just as it is tragic that it's a 13-year-old in oh. Chicago. Right. Um, when police are chasing people, they don't know how old they are. What? And they don't run and say, hey, how old are you? Oh, I'm 13. You know, my mom let me that you don't know that. Or I'm 16. When they roll up on a scene, mm -hmm. they see people tussling around. Someone has a knife. Right. And their job is to protect and serve. Wait. Every life on that scene. What? And if they see someone who is in Ooh. the process of taking a life, what is that decision? What decision do they have to make? And I know that people say, well, you know, you could do this, you can do that. Tasers don't work the way guns work. Well, who is not at, that, not at that distance. Not at that distance. Wait, and not with that too? amount of time. That, yeah, right. Tasers, then do, they don't always connect. I don't even know what to do with that. I have the Don Lemon is worser mug right out here right now. I think I got to put it away for, for now. And the Chris Cuomo is worse. He seemed to make some sense there, too. What, what is happening? What do I even do in this situation? I know what to do. Mm. There we go. Andrew Cuomo is still awful.com. I started out with uh, things that I wanted to keep from the pandemic uh, era today. You can go back and watch that monologue. Um, one thing I would like to lose from the pandemic is the weight. Uh, <laughs> just one of those things where you just people to deal with a very difficult circumstance, just pounded food down their gullet. I know, at least I did. Um, now, there are good foods you can eat that actually taste very delicious. Um, and I have an entire shelf of my fridge dedicated to this one particular thing. It's called a Built Bar. Have you tried a Built Bar yet? A Built Bar is this, it's, it's a protein bar. It's high in protein. It's high in fiber, it's low in calories, it's low in carbs, like three to five net carbs, so really low if you're on like a keto diet or whatever. But none of that matters. What matters is it tastes amazing. 
they go for taste first, which is really, really important. A lot of these places, like, they try to you know, get their stats right and then they're reverse engineering the taste. They do it backwards here uh, uh, with Built Bar. They do that whole process backwards. They start with the taste and then they make sure it's healthy and something that you can actually eat and not you know, turn into a balloon. Built Bar is the answer. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code STU15. You're gonna save 15% off your next order. The promo code is STU15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. It's BuiltBar.com, promo code STU15. Welcome back to the program. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner has announced uh, her run for governor uh, in California as a Republican, by the way. So if you're in California, you have some options there. Uh, I thought this comment was pretty interesting from an advisor to Gavin Newsom. He said, uh, we always knew the Republican recall would be a ludicrous circus full of Trump supporters. So that's what you see uh, when you see a transgendered person run for office. A ludicrous circus. Hmm. That is shocking. You know what? This is a good question here because we have this one. We're all mugs today. Look at this. We have this one here. Anyone else for governor? Kind of about Gavin Newsom. Your choice. Do you, would you rather have uh, Caitlyn Jenner? I think you might get at least some sane policies. I have, I have no idea what the policy platform is, but we'll find out. Speaking of uh, people who are insane, uh, Biden appears to be the only world leader to wear a mask at the virtual climate summit. I don't understand what is going on. Like you don't need to, you can't give someone COVID over Zoom. But apparently uh, Joe was worried about that. And there's a guy who um, uh, was on Bumble, the dating app. He was trying to get a match, I guess, and going back and forth with uh, some woman. And he, she was asking him some questions. We don't know what those questions were, but we know that she said, those weren't my questions. Those weren't answer, the answers to my questions. And then he responds, well, I did storm the Capitol. I made it all the way to Statuary, Statuary Hall. I did an interview with Robert O'Morrow from the Washington Post. Also did an online interview with Jess Brevins of the Wall Street Journal. And she just responds, we are not a match. <laughs> and he says, I suppose not. So probably good for both of them to get out of that relationship. But unfortunately, she immediately reported him to police. And now he has been detained uh, and under arrest uh, about, uh, by the FBI, charged with trespassing at the U.S. Capitol and disrupting official government operations by participating in the riot. They did find, um, by the way, his picture there. They found some social postings from him about being there, uh, and they have video of him on site as well. So it wasn't just her word, uh, but I don't know. I mean, if you got away, like if you did that and you were in the Capitol, I just feel like, why are you bragging about that <laughs> in the, on a dating app? I feel like that's, a, that's the wrong move. If you got away with it this long, just hope no one ever looks at the videos or your Facebook page and move on with your life. But uh, I don't know. It was, uh, he's under arrest. We will let you know if he finds a love connection there. By the way, they voted on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, pulled it off the market, if you remember, for a little bit, wanted to make sure that it was safe for these rare blood clots, finally did the vote, and what they came out with was the exact same thing as they had before. If you're over 18, you can take it and not really worry about it. There were a couple people on the panel who said they wanted to add a warning that if you were under 50, you might want to choose another vaccine, but it was still largely safe. They just kept it the same, which is just mind blowing that this is how this thing ended up. Uh, OK, um, before we leave, a meth 
shipment worth $4.3 million was found in Texas. And it was, <laughs> it was found, it was 114 packages of meth, weighed 217 pounds, concealed within a pickle trailer. A pickle delivery. And those are, uh, that's, that's a new slogan for Vlasic. Uh, yeah, this is the tastiest meth, of meth I've ever had. Remember that whole thing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't really do pelican voice all that well, but wasn't it a pelican? I don't even remember. Okay, uh, before we leave, uh, I want to tell you, <laughs> you can get your Nancy Pelosi Sucks gear uh, available online right now. Nancy Pelosi Sucks Pen.com, of course, for the original, the pen, the replica of the uh, ridiculous uh, impeachment pen that she had. Still our best seller. But uh, Sarah Gonzalez actually uh, sported the Nancy Pelosi Sucks shirt the other day on the air and. Uh, you know, someone posted, uh, who wore it better? And picture a picture of her and me. Like, what the hell? Who, why would someone post that on my, I lost like 95 to two. I don't understand why anyone would post that on my social media, but I appreciated it. Uh, get it at uh, studentsmerch.com. We will see you tomorrow. You sick freaks. Ah.